All right, let's take our Bibles and go to John chapter 18. Sure is good to be with you here on the Lord's Day. And like I said, I'll get myself situated here in a minute. I've got a lot of notes here. And you might be tempted to criticize me for having a lot of notes until you've heard me preach without notes. And you would be glad I use them. Amen. So I've got a little uh, flyer here that was distributed at the high schools here a couple years ago. And uh, it's entitled, Our Gender Revolution. And uh, coming to a high school near you. And it's youth leadership and organizing workshops, free high school workshops, free middle school and junior high workshops. And uh, basically, they're trying to retrain, reprogram. By the way, in the public schools, education is turned into indoctrination. I think you understand that. And uh, they want you to understand about people who are gender non-conforming. And they got a whole kaleidoscope here of people, some of which are hard to figure out what they are. Uh, but they're all smiling, so it must be good. And they're here to create social change. So I ask you a question this morning. How did we get here? How did we get here to where the obvious has become, at best, ambiguous? To where, as a society, we can just decide, wake up one morning, and uh, a man can decide he's a woman, or a woman can decide she's a man, or whatever is next. Whatever is next, amen? And uh, how did we get to the place where truth is so relative that two plus two might just be five? Because after all, in this postmodern culture, uh, your truth, as long as you're satisfied with it, is is good, and I can make up something else that I call truth, and nobody has a right to judge it or measure it because there no longer is any absolute truth. And how did we get to this point? Now, I could, I could multiply um, examples of how our culture and how people have, have gotten to this idea that there's really no no right and wrong anymore and and by the way this is the realm that the devil likes to work in best in in postmodern society and I'll explain what postmodernism is I remember the first time I heard the expression I thought we're living in postmodernism what are we going to give up our cars and live in pit pit huts and you know quit using air conditioning what does that mean postmodern but it, it has more to do with philosophy than anything else. And in postmodernism, we don't have morality, obviously, but neither do we preach or espouse immorality, uh, whether, it's, whether it's our society or in education or in philosophy classes, our culture itself through entertainment and media, uh, or even in the churches. 
Uh, we no longer have morality. We no longer are going to worry about preaching immorality, but what we're going to espouse is amorality, meaning there is no morality. And in that void, you insert what you want. Boy, the devil loves to work in that particular playground. And that's where we're at. Truth has become ubiquitous. It's become nebulous. It's become completely relative. And in postmodernism, truth is whatever you decide. You know, I thought about that in the context of Adolf Hitler one time. Uh, years ago, I did a lot of reading on the Second World War. It was a, a topic of great interest to me. And of course, you can't read about the Second World War without running into Adolf Hitler. Do you know he was true to his beliefs? He was a follower of the philosopher Nietzsche. And eventually he landed on nihilism. And he believed the Jew was the problem. So the best thing to do for the human race is get rid of the Jews. I wonder how modern philosophers would deal with that one in the context of everybody's truth is okay. Because he was true to what he believed truth was. But he was responsible, everybody says, for six million deaths. But uh, I think you could, lay, you could lay most of World War II at his feet. So how do you reconcile that? Well, you don't. The devil is a liar. He's the father of lies. And that's one of his most useful tools is just out and out lies. And as Hitler once said, you tell a lie enough times, pretty soon it becomes the truth. So today I want to I wanna use as a springboard something that Martin, Martin, uh, Martin Luther said in the 1500s. He said, if I profess with the loudest voice and the clearest exposition every portion of the truth of God, except precisely that little point which the world and the devil are at that moment attacking, he went on to say, then I am not confessing Christ, however boldly I may be professing Christ. Where the battle rages, there the loyalty of the soldier is proved. And to be steady on all the battlefield besides is mere flight and disgrace if he flinches at that point. Now, I want you to look at John chapter 18. And Jesus is before Pilate at this particular point. And we pick up the narrative in verse 37. And, and Pilate's in a bad spot here. He really wants to uh, release Jesus. His wife's had some bad dreams about all this that's going on. And he realizes he's dealing with someone here that isn't ordinary. At the very least, he realizes something supernatural is going on. And so he's trying to release Christ, but he's finding it hard to stay politically on track if he does. And so we get to this point right here in verse 37, where the Bible says, Pilate therefore said unto him, unto Christ, art thou a king then? Jesus answered, thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate saith unto him, what is truth? What is truth? Now, you could look at that statement from a number of standpoints. You could look at it from the context of this idea that philosophically he may not have believed uh, 
that there was such a thing as truth. You may look at it from the standpoint that he was a cynical politician who just said cynically, what is truth? And just sort of blew off the whole thing. But he does ask the question. And it's a question that our society, our culture is asking. It's a, unfortunately, it's a, it's a, a question that a lot of professing Christendom is act, asking now. You know, some of you may be old enough to remember when even the mainline denominations that really didn't preach the gospel but professed to believe the Bible it at least believed there was some absolute truth. That isn't always the case anymore. Absolutes have gone by the wayside. Now, let's, let's rewind back even to the first century of the church and realize that these kind of problems, and like I said, this thing uh, permeates culture, it permeates education, it permeates all areas of society, and not only in our country, but throughout the world. But I'm going to emphasize the spiritual aspect of things and in the context of the church, because it's such a broad subject. But sometimes we tend to think of the early church as pristine and pure and untroubled by serious error. The truth is that that wasn't the case at all. From the very beginning, the enemies of truth launched an effort to infiltrate and confuse the people of God by mangling the truth and by blending lies with Christian doctrine. One, one philosophy in particular in the first century church was called Gnosticism. And uh, John deals with it in 1 John. If you ever wondered why in the Gospel of John, but particularly in 1 John chapter 1, John says that which we have seen with our eyes, which we have handled with our hands. And why does he make such an emphasis of the fact that they saw Christ with their eyes and they touched him? That's because the Gnostics taught, among other things, that that all things that are spiritual are good and all things that are material were evil. Therefore, Christ could not have been a physical person. He had to be a, a sort of ethereal being. And John was countering that idea. Postmodernism, what is it? Well, there's a lot of things you could say about it, but I'll give you this one statement. One writer said this, objectivity is an illusion. Nothing is certain, and the thoughtful person will never speak with too much conviction about anything. Strong convictions about my point of truth are judged supremely arrogant and hopelessly naive. Everyone is entitled to his own truth. Now, if I would have said everybody is entitled to his own opinion, there's some re relevance to that. But that's not what they believe. They believe everybody is entitled to their own truth. The relentless questioning of every axiom, the undue exaltation of mystery and paradox. In other words, nothing is certain. Take your Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter 2. And by the way, we're going to look at a lot of Bible this morning. And I'm going to assume that that doesn't bother you. I hear a lot of pages turning. That's a good thing. Colossians chapter 2. In Colossians chapter 2 verse 8. We're warned about these things before 
The canon of scriptures even completed in 96 AD by John in the book of Revelation. You look at verse 8, beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Uh, Paul warns us, warns us of science falsely so-called in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Now, uh, that word science just simply means knowledge. Knowledge. There's nothing wrong with knowledge. Science, true science, shouldn't scare any Christian. Because the Bible is not anti-scientific, but it's anti-science falsely so-called. Uh, a, a prime example of that would be evolution. That is science falsely so-called. It hides under the guise of science. But really, it's a fairy tale. Folks, did you ever notice how every fairy tale starts out with long, long ago and far, far away? Do you know why evolutionists always have to resort to millions and billions and trillions and quadrillions of years? Because in the end, you have to have a God. Something started all this. And their God is chance. And the longer you give something, the better chance you have of having it happen. You know, the old idea of, uh, back in the day of sitting a monkey in front of a typewriter, and if you gave him enough time, he would type the Gettysburg Address. But you have to have a monkey that lives billions of years. And that's science falsely so-called. So in verse 8, Paul says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy. Now he's talking to Christians. It's not, <coughs> excuse me, not just a lost world that gets deceived by this stuff. In fact, that's what the devil wants us to think, is that because we're saved, we can't be deceived. He wants us to think that. Beware lest any man spoil you, the believer, through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. I'll tell you one that's real current, and that's global warming. Someone said to me in a, in a hockey locker room, well, there's all kinds of science that backs it up. I said, yes, junk science. Folks, tell me if this sounds like a religion. And I'm not mocking, I'm not, you drive whatever kind of car you want, okay? Uh, I, I've, I've learned, come to learn that electric cars have real good acceleration. Uh, I like acceleration. So I'm interested. <laughs> but if I ever drive an electric car, it won't be because I'm trying to save the environment. But, but think about this one. Pretty soon, you become morally responsible or, or socially responsible because you drive this car or don't drive that car or you don't use this aerosol can or you live in this kind of house. Does that sound kind of like a religion with morals? We have a president now that wants to turn this country inside out over that issue to the tunes of saddling our children and grandchildren with trillions of dollars of debt to try to, to try to provide an answer that begs a question. Even, uh, and I don't know why I can ever remember his name. I probably don't like him. <laughs> Kerry. 
the, uh, the witch doctor of the environment under this administration. He admitted that if we achieved all of our goals, you know, had everybody run around in a Fred Flintstone car where, you know, you, you power it with your bare feet through the, through the floorboard. How many of you remember that? How many of you old enough to remember? Fred? Okay. We're all, we're all driving Fred Flintstone cars. We don't burn any more fossil fuel. And uh, we all live in little huts and, and, and all the other things that we're going to have to do to save uh, the earth and drop the temperature back down to where someone thinks it belongs. That he said it would make zero appreciable difference in this world because China, India, and the developing countries don't give a rip about any of this. I just read an article the other day how practically every big snapping turtle that lives in the Indian Ocean is all full of plastic because they somehow developed an appetite for that. And they went on to say where most of the plastic in the ocean is coming from. Are you ready for this? Guess. China. And in the Paris Accord, they were granted, are you ready for this? Developing country status so they don't have to lower their carbon emissions and stuff the way we do because we're developed and they're not. That's too funny for words. I'm telling you something, folks. It's a religion. You say, well, then, then how do you account for, you know, the, the world's, uh, the atmosphere's temperature going up, uh, you know, a degree over the last 120 years? It's cyclical. It's a 1,500-year cycle, and it has to do with the sun, solar activity. There's all kinds of scientific information on that. But we've reached a tipping point in this country where there's so many people making a living over this fallacy that they're never going to junk it, even when they realize it's junk. What are we looking at? We're looking at philosophy, vain deceit, the tradition of men, and the rudiments of the world. Now here, look at verse 9. Here's the hill, here's the hill we need to die on. You want to die on a hill, don't die on a political hill, Christian conservative or otherwise. You want to die on a hill? Don't die on a scientific hill, Christian. Die on this hill. For in him, speaking of Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. If they start killing Christians someday, make sure they're killing us because we're talking about Jesus too much. <laughs> and that's my goal here this morning, to keep us on track and not get diverted by all this junk. Because look, ambiguity provides all of us a better opportunity to mess around with our pet sins, which appeals to all of us. So when you're talking about a philosophy that just basically says, hey, make truth whatever you want it to be, make morality whatever you want it to be in this atmosphere of amorality, then oh boy, that means I can do anything I want. And feel good about it for a little while. But even if I can sear my conscience, if you're saved here this morning, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. So there's an appeal to all of us about this very thing of making truth ambiguous. Oh, man, you mean then I don't have to stand for anything. I don't have to stand for absolutes. And it's so unpopular in this day and age to stand for absolutes. 
So this is where we find ourselves. Now let's ask ourselves a question. How did we get here? Well, I'm going to give you a very brief history of the entire world and all of mankind from Genesis 3 to the present. Are you ready? Some of you are going, man, we're not going to have lunch now. I said very brief. From Genesis 3 to the early 1700s, you have what is called the pre-modernism period of time, and it goes for millenniums. And in its simplicity, it just was this. Everyone, no matter who you were, no matter who you were, unless you, you were those, one of those few people that thought they were atheists, no matter who you were, you believed there was a thing called truth. You also believed it came from God. Now, you may have been a Christian, or prior to the New Testament being written, you may have, ha, have been a, a Jew that believed in the Old Testament canon. Uh, you, you may have, you may have uh, been a Greek who believed in the pantheon of gods. Uh, you may have been an Egyptian that believed in one of their many gods, or a Hindu who believed in their millions and millions of gods, but you believe there was absolute truth, and you, came, you believe it came supernaturally from God. And that's the way it was for millenniums. So, to your relief, and the hope that you'll have lunch today, we're already in the 1700s. <laughs> and then in the 1700s, after mankind surviving the dark ages, which was a result of religion, people said, well, that didn't work too good, so let's try something else. And then philosophies like rationalism came on the scene. And the age of reason. And man suddenly decided, and this period is called modernism, and it lasted just for a couple hundred years plus, that we can find the truth. There is truth. We were right all these millenniums. But it, it doesn't come to us supernaturally. It comes through our reason and deduction and our experience and our understanding and our learning. In other words, education and science. And that was a prevailing philosophy, almost universal, unless you, you, were, you were very religious or you were a Christian and believed the Bible, that became the prevailing philosophy, and people basically had the idea, and I had this happen to me many times over the years, especially when I was first saved, you'd talk to them about believing on Christ as their Savior, and, and, and if they rejected that idea, it was really pretty simple. There was no gray area between somebody being uh, modernistic, and they would always come up with this. They would say, well, science is working on coming up with the answers. And I found back in those days, in the early 70s, up to, up to the mid-80s, if you could convince somebody that the first chapter or the first three chapters of the book of Genesis were true, and God did create everything, and they rejected evolution, there was no middle ground. You were either a modernist and believed in science, and that they had all the answers, or you believed the Bible. It was pretty cut and dry. And so, so modernism, modernism, modernism was the answer. We're going to figure this thing out. There's truth 
But we're not going to rely on God to tell us about it. And by the way, you know, we're going we're gonna to find all the supposed mistakes in the Bible and expose Christianity for the farce that it is. That's what a lot of science falsely so-called was all about. And I think, I think evolution was the badge of all of this. And so all of these philosophies came on the scene. And by the way, what's interesting about all these philosophies, starting in the 1700s to the present, there's basically nine major philosophies, and all nine of them are found in the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon laid the whole thing out for you in 12 chapters. And by the way, he experimented with most all of them and found them to be vain. The one expression you see over and over and over again in the book of Ecclesiastes, written by the, uh, arguably the wisest man that ever lived after Jesus Christ, the man who had uh, the wealth to try anything he wanted to try and do anything he wanted to do, when he got done experimenting with these dying philosophies, the expression you see over and over again in the book of Ecclesiastes is vanity of vanities, all is vanity. That's where this stuff leaves you in the end. And by the way, religiously, it's the same thing. Whether it's the old line liberalism that the, the mainline denominations espoused in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, and 60s, or the modern liberalism that's ambiguous and just believes you make up your own truth, what they've done is taken absolutes from you. They've taken the word of God from you. And you may think right now that you don't have enough in the word of God, so you go searching outside of the scriptures and you find that now absolute truth is whatever you want it to be. And so now your resource is right between these two ears. I would say for most of us, that's pretty limited. And you know what you're left with at the end? Nothing. And the philosophy is called nihilism. Nothing matters anymore. Fatalism. Fatalism and nihilism. You wonder why people are so apathetic in our country anymore. Very little gets them really stirred up. That's what's happened. And it's a product of postmodernism. But let's, let's, let's go back to the modern, the modernism period of time, which was a period of about 250 years from the 1700s to about, believe it or not, around 1980. Empiricism. John Locke states that the only source of knowledge comes through our senses, sight, hearing, experience. Rationalism, theory and reason rather than experience are the foundation of certainty and knowledge. By the way, a lot of these philosophies clash with each other. Idealism, the, the practice of forming or pursuing ideals and sometimes unrealistically. I think our beloved vice president said, well, we're not sealing up the border here because we're going we're gonna to get to the root of the problem. We're going to go to these, these 80 to 100 different countries where people are pouring in across our border, and we're going to find out why they want to leave their country and come here, and then we're going to fix the problem so they'll want to stay. I think marijuana is very legal in her state. And I think she's been taking advantage of it. 
You got to be kidding me. What are you going to go to Venezuela and tell the dictator how to run the country so everybody will be happy in Venezuela? That's idealism taken to an extreme. Or maybe just a lie to rationalize not doing something you should do. But I'll let you figure that one out. Uh, positivism. Laws are to be understood as social rules valid because they are enacted by authority or derive, derived logically from existing decisions. Stoicism. And uh, this particular um, ancient Greek school of philosophy was founded at Athens by a philosopher named Zeno. Stoicism is the endurance of pain or hardship without display of feelings and without complaint. Well, some of our Baptist churches could use a little bit of that. Structure, structuralism. The doctrine that structure is more important than function. Materialism. Now, this is one we all understand as Americans. Amen? The doctrine that nothing exists except matter and its movements and modifications. A tendency to consider matter possessions, material possessions, and physical comfort as more important than spiritual uh, values. Uh, Karl Marx called his philosophy dialectic materialism, and he emphasized the redistribution of wealth. He was a materialist. He was a materialist. And by the way, he didn't want to work for what he got. He wanted you to give it to him. The man never worked a day in his whole life. And by the way, the Bible is a great antidote for materialism. The Bible, the Bible preaches contentment. Folks, uh, uh, contentment isn't achieved by getting what you want. Contentment is achieved by wanting what you get. And we got to keep moving here. Existentialism. This is another prevailing philosophy today. The philosophy that embraces diverse doctrines but centering on analysis of individual existence in an unfathomable universe and the plight of the individual who must assume ultimate responsibility for acts of free will without any certain knowledge of what is right or wrong or good or bad. This Nietzschean philosophy is arguably the starting point of existentialism, nihilism, and continental philosophy as a whole. In other words, we don't know where we came from, evolution, or where we're at, nihilism, or where we're going, agnosticism. And that's a very prevailing philosophy in our country today. By the way, the Beatles sang about it when they said he's a real nowhere man living in his nowhere land, making all his nowhere plans for nobody. And I think they were singing about themselves. Ozzy Osbourne said, the road to nowhere leads to me, to which I would agree. <laughs> but these are, these are philosophies that were honed during, during the modernistic period. Now, uh, romanticism is another one, emphasis on art and uh, philosophy and poetry, and, and, and we'll move on. But, but basically what happened is mankind looked at the results of modernism and it gave us two world wars. It gave us dictators like Stalin responsible for the, the slaughter of 50 million people. You know, everybody always says, well, you know, Hitler was the ultimate bad guy. Stalin slaughtered 50 million of his own people. They called him the butcher. Hitler, the second world war, dictatorships, the spread of communism, 
the threat of nuclear holocaust. How many of you remember the Cold War? People say the Cold War is over. Yeah, because of the, uh, the demise of the Soviet Union for a little, bit, uh, a little bit of time. Yeah, yeah, it's over. Where did all their nukes and their scientists go? They were all bought by rogue nations in the Middle East that are working on their own nuclear devices as we speak. So man said, hey, that didn't work so good. So, so guess what? We're going to espouse a new truth. And the first, the first pre-modernism was millenniums old. Modernism was centuries old. And post-modernism is only decades old. And it's the idea that, you know what? Maybe there isn't any truth. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And truth is whatever you make it. Now, let me leave you with this thought, because I think in the end, this is the antidote for all this, and we'll finish this up next week. Unless you want to stay here until about 1.30. Who wants to stay here until 1.30? Not me. <laughs> Those of you that want to, when we're dismissed, you just keep your seat. Does the Bible teach that there's absolute truth? Did Jesus teach there was absolute truth? John 1.14, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John 1.17, for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. John chapter 3, but he that doeth truth cometh to the light. John 4, the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. John 4, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Folks, if there's no absolute truth, we wasted our time coming to church today. Because God's looking for those that will worship him in spirit and in truth. John 5, he sent unto John, and he bear witness unto not a truth, but the truth. The truth. The Bible doesn't subscribe to you make up your own truth. By the way, do you see how arrogant that is? If you get to make up your own truth, it begs a question. What was truth before you showed up? And what's truth going to be after you're gone? What will we do? John chapter 8, and he shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you what? Free without the truth. There's no freedom. You see, the devil is such a liar, and he's such a good liar. Give, give him credit. But, but, he, but he convinces us that, look, you, you got all these absolutes. They're so binding. Uh, how many of you like sports, team sports? How many of you played any team sport? I'm not asking if you were good. You just played them. <laughs> okay? Some people are like, well, I wasn't so good. <laughs> you played them, Okay? So, so we'll, we'll, let's just take, take football as an example. Out of bounds? You mean if I run past that line over there, I'm out of bounds, and the ref's going to blow a whistle. And, and if you're blocking somebody and you're holding, he's going to throw a flag up and send your team back uh, 10 yards or 15 yards or whatever it is. 
And there's rule after rule after rule, and there's stoppage after stoppage after stoppage because the guy in the striped shirt keeps calling fouls and, and uh, penalties on your team and on the other team. And we get done with one of those games and we go, wasn't that great? But then you come to church and you find out there's absolutes and there's a few rules. And all of a sudden, oh, how restricting. I got news when you lose truth, you lose freedom. And losing truth is very restricting because you lose so many of the blessings that come with the truth. I can't count the number of times that the promises of God have, have got me through a tough time. And without that truth, I don't think I would have made it. Why do you think the world medicates drugs and alcohol to get through life? Sexual perversion and other vices. Because they don't have anything to lean on. People say, you Christians, that Christianity, that Bible, that Jesus, that peace the Bible talks about is a crutch. To which I say, amen. That's my crutch. What's yours? Nobody's big enough and strong enough to take on the whole world or all of life's experiences in their own strength. Everybody needs somebody and something. So people are Christians, are, begin to think they don't have enough in Christianity. It's too restrictive. So they go searching outside of the scriptures and they come to the conclusion that, that it's all about whatever I think and whatever I want. And they wind up at the same dead end they were. Are you ready for this? They wake up at the same dead end they were when Christ found them originally. How many of you first-generation Christians re remember that dark alley? Jesus said in John 8, he was a murderer, speaking of the devil from the beginning, and abode not in the truth. John 8, because I tell you the truth, Jesus said, you believe me not. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Folks, if there's no absolute truth, there's no salvation. This, this thing doesn't nibble around the edges. This thing comes right down to our salvation. John chapter 14, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. All right, when I read that, whom the world cannot receive, I shouldn't be surprised this is going on. You know, you know. look, look, I'm conservative head to toe. I, 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 I'm a red guy living in a red state. I vote Republican and all that. And, and so don't, don't, you know, don't, don't get started. But, but you know what wears me out about the conservative movement and why I don't listen to much talk radio or watch much news? It's all of this. Oh, did you see what they're doing now? Oh, did you hear? Oh. 24-7. And nobody is providing any answers. Tell me what you're going to do about it. Or here's my conspiracy. Okay, great. I have my... You know, by the way, we all have our conspiracies. Let me show you a very mild, subtle conspiracy. 
You're watching somebody do something. Ah. <laughs> I know what they're really doing. That's conspiracy theory, okay? Just on a very small scale. I had a very suspicious mother-in-law, God rest her soul. And if you did something nice for her, oh, what are you up to? Okay, you don't call that a, but that's what that is. We all got our conspiracies and that's fine. Just don't consign me to the damned because I don't start doing cartwheels when you tell me your conspiracy. And by the way, when it's all said and done, if you're right about your conspiracy, if I'm right about mine, you know what I'm more concerned about than anything else? What are you going to do about it? Wallow in all of this negative truth? I, I, I got some better use of your time and mine. Go tell somebody about Jesus Christ. Okay. And, that, and that's what I get worn out with. And it's that way on the left. I mean, the left is worried about everything. The earth is going to melt. Uh, according to a lot of them, we shouldn't even be here now. Huh? The temperature should be 180 out everywhere. And, and, and for the more optimistic among them, we got eight years. Boy, that's a cheery thought. You know, and, and they're worried about all kinds of stuff. And in the conservative side, it's, you know, oh, and, and they did that, and oh, and can you believe they're doing that? And oh, now they're going to do that. And then they're going to. Man, spend a little time with the truth. Spend a little time with the truth. Now, now somebody's going to go out here. He voted for Biden. He's hoping Biden really loses his mind and Kamala Harris will be the president. I just know it. John 15, the Bible says, the spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father. John 16, howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. John 17, 17, Jesus said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. John 17, for their sakes, Christ said, I sanctify myself that they also might be sanctified through the truth. So Pilate asked Jesus, what is truth? And what had Jesus just said to him? Jesus said to him, I came to bear witness to the truth. Do you know what this whole issue really gets to the core of who Jesus is and what he came to do? Like I said, this isn't nibbling around the edges, folks. Romans chapter 9, Paul says, I say the truth in Christ. Romans chapter 15, Paul says, Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God. It wasn't just Jesus himself, it was his apostles, and we could go on and on. The Bible says charity in 1 Corinthians 13, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, he said, by manifestation of the truth, 2 Corinthians 6, by the word of truth, 2 Corinthians 11, as the truth of Christ is in me, 2 Corinthians 13, for we can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. Do you realize that in the end, they can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth, and in the end, even their lying about the truth is going to come full circle to the glory of a sovereign God? 
I get it. Things are going south in every way you can imagine, okay? And you don't even have to listen to talk radio to figure that out or, or, or get in touch with the media. You can just look around. But do you realize that in the end, the Prince of Peace is coming back and he's going to set up the Millennial Kingdom and the world's going to be better than it's ever been since the Garden of Eden. And that's the truth. So folks, for whatever else we have to inhale going through this world, let's make sure we keep that front and center on the table and right in front of the front windshield, not the rear view mirror. Put all the other stuff in the rear view mirror. Yeah, I know it's there. But looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, have the upward and forward look. Paul said in Galatians chapter 2 that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. Galatians chapter 2, they walk not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel. Galatians 3, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Galatians 4, am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Galatians 5, he did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? Ephesians chapter 1, uh, the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Ephesians chapter 4, but speaking the truth in love. Ephesians 4, as the truth is in Jesus. Ephesians 5, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Ephesians chapter 4, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth. Colossians 1, wherefore ye heard before in the word of truth of the gospel. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, and knew the grace of God in truth. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, the belief of the truth. So let me take you to the end. We'll continue this next week. Demetrius hath good report of all men and of the truth itself. What would the truth say about any of us here this morning? You know, I was thinking about something, and we'll continue this next week. Um, the Stephen Hawking guy was considered to be the Einstein of our generation. And uh, they did a little article on him when he died in, back in 18 here a few years ago. And they said uh, the headline is the visionary physicist who brought cosmology to the masses. He, um, he wrote a book called The Brief History of Time. It sold 11 million copies. It was a bestseller. Kind of made him a scientific celebrity. Uh, there's certainly some arrogance in some of the statements that they quoted him. Um, he talked about black holes. He said they're called black holes because they're related to human fears of being destroyed or gobbled up by them. He said, but I don't have fears of being thrown into them. I understand them. I feel in a sense that I am their master. Well, I beg to differ. I think the master of those things is the one who made it all. But here's, here's the sad part of it all. For all of his intelligence, and I'm not denying for a moment that he was intelligent. He was just wrong. But he said, my goal is very simple. 
It is the complete understanding of the universe. That's number one. Well, I'm sorry. Unless you're God, you don't have a complete understanding of the universe. But here's the really sad part of it. It's a complete understanding of the universe, why it is, as it is, and why it exists at all. So the man lived from 1942 to 2018 with all of that intelligence and probably died not knowing why the universe exists. You got a Bible here this morning? Turn to the first page. Turn to the first page and we'll solve this problem in about 10 seconds. And, and, and trust me right now, I, I hope there isn't a tinge of arrogance in my, in my tone because none of us deserve to know anything. You want to know what I deserve this morning? A one-way ticket to hell. Everything I've got beyond that is by God's grace. <clears throat> in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Do you know why the universe exists? Because God created it. That's a real simple, short answer. Now, we could go on and on and talk about how God populated the earth and and and. Uh, created man in his image and all the implications of that. But to think of being that intelligence and intelligent and living your whole life and never figuring out what little boys and girls in the first, second, third, and fourth, and fifth grade in our Sunday school classes already know. You know, you know why that is? Because you have the truth. Okay? Now, we live in a world that is increasingly considering that statement to be the height of arrogance. In fact, the further you get in the realm of education, especially higher education, the biggest proof of your intelligence is a maximum amount of uncertainty that you ascribe to any statement. So saying Jesus is the only way to heaven is considered supremely arrogant. Well, they might look at it as supremely arrogant, but it's supremely true. And if you're saved here this morning, it's the reason you're saved. Because you believed that Christ was the way, the truth, the life, and no man could come to the Father but by him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And I would be the first to say this morning that I don't deserve what I have in this area of truth. Lord, I know I was a pot-headed, stupid teenage kid when you rescued me from my sins. And Lord, within days at the most, I knew what the most intelligent man in our generation didn't know. Where I came from, where I was, and where I was going. And Lord, none of that has changed in almost 50 years now. And for that, I'm thankful. Lord, we thank you for your word that doesn't change. We thank you for your immutability that you don't change. And Lord, we can rest our feet on a solid foundation, on a solid rock, and we can know the truth. 
Lord, help us to proclaim that truth as we leave this place today and throughout the course of this week till we meet again. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Amen. 389. Let's go ahead and take our hymnals and turn to number 389. Number 389. quick thing. I went over time anyway, so I might as well dig a deeper hole here for a second. Um, You read the book of Proverbs, you realize that your words, as you speak them out to somebody else, have an effect on other people. Amen? And, And I think that should be fairly obvious to all of us with or without the book of Proverbs. But do you realize the book of Proverbs, Proverbs is very clear that the words we speak also have a backflow and they affect us for better or for worse? Uh, pleasant words are like in honeycomb, sweet, sweet to the soul and health to the bones. And you know what's one of the best ways to reinforce the truth in your heart and mind and soul is go tell someone else about it. I, I found I found that I find that witnessing verifies my faith in my heart as much as anything I do. And and I can't say that I understand it, but go out and try it this week. Go out and try it this week. In this world of maximum uncertainty. Go tell others about a certain Savior, 
and see what it not only does for others, but see what it does for you. God bless you. You are dismissed.